This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm rejoined by my co-host David Hughes. Dave, we have a turn into normality mate, I'm sure you enjoyed getting away from it for a while but we are now back to football you're looking forward to the season i am mate i've uh, picked a good time to be getting back at it you know we can finally start talking about football matches again um and yeah you know I've, i'll be honest i was really looking forward to doing the podcast as well obviously it's been a, a few weeks for me um i can hear the booze in the distance when people realize it's me back and not guy clark uh, i do apologize but yeah, you know, just really looking forward to the start of the season and talking about football today on the podcast. Yeah, to be honest, we've had a little bit of an, a Liverpool centre-back crisis on the show, to be honest. We've had rotating partners every week. Uh, but yeah, good to return to normality. Good to talk about actual football matches coming up that matter. So that's what we'll be doing today. Today we'll be previewing Nodge City, who are Liverpool's first opponents for the first game of the season. But before that, we are going to just have a general chat about the league, just league expectations specifically for Liverpool, and maybe a quick run-through of mine and Dave's picks in terms of like top four and relegation and things like that. So we'll see where we go with it, usual analysing Anfield fashion. But in terms of Liverpool and Dave, obviously pre-season's now finished. What are your expectations for the season? What do you think is a general reasonable expectation for for Liverpool fans going into the campaign yeah it's uh, it's quite interesting this season actually because um, for me I think there's the, the top four which we'll probably come on to um, I don't know if it's as extreme as picks itself but certainly I think you know there's, there's four standout clubs uh, to finish within the top four this season obviously that would be uh, Manchester City Man United Chelsea and Liverpool but in terms of the order really tough one because from a Liverpool perspective you think Liverpool kind of look back to their best okay we haven't had any competitive football yet but in terms of the squad um, in terms of key players looking much sharper shaking off the fatigue that kind of hung over them um, during you know what was really a difficult period I'm, th- I'm thinking about the likes of Sadio Mane uh maybe Mohamed Salah as, as well. You know, those players, they've looked quite sharp uh, coming back into pre-season. Um, Van Dijk, the big one, of course, he's back. Joe Gomez coming back. Um, a decent addition, to say the least, in Canate. You know, it looks like the Liverpool again of two years ago. So that's a, you know, that's a really good side, a really good side for Liverpool. But I think the issue is, Josh, um, the teams around have definitely strengthened. You know, there's been some really good recruitments and it just, it blows it wide open for me. Um, so to answer your question, I, th- I think Liverpool are looking at top four, but really difficult to predict if it's going to be a, a Premier League winning campaign again or, you know, maybe something a little bit less. Yeah, I mean, we, we will get to general top four predictions anyway. I have a feeling who you might pick to finish in the top four, but we'll, we will go there eventually. But I think in terms of Liverpool... I'm quietly optimistic, me. I'll be honest. Uh, going into the season, this is still very much the same squad that got 97 points followed by 98 points the following season. 
with the addition of Diogo Jose and Thiago Alcantara, really, but minus Gini Wijnaldum, obviously. Um, so I'm, I, I feel, and you've obviously had the Canate in there as well, sorry. So considering that, alongside the supporters back in the stadium, which I think is huge, specifically for Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp regenerating things after a summer break. We know we, we, we know what he was dealing with at the end of last season and things. So, looking at the season, I think Liverpool are being a little bit overlooked. And it, it's typical transfer market stuff, to be honest. I think people are far too inclined to look at who's done the best business. And they think that one or two signings can, can majorly change the landscape and stuff, which that can happen at times, but... I still think Liverpool are comfortably at the top of the Premier League type type stuff. So I think when it comes to expectations for the season, I think you can go into it almost thinking that top four is almost a given, I think, unless something goes wrong. And I think when it comes to going for the title, I it's a tough one, isn't it? I think it it's almost a flip of a coin, really, at this stage. Some signings that are made between now and the end of this window closing could tip it, could tip the balance. But I, I think Liverpool can go, go into this, and I think Klopp will be going into this thinking we get back our crown this season. I don't think he'll be going into it thinking, right, we just need to restabilise or we need to get top four. I think he'll be going into it thinking we get the Premier League back this season. I'm not sure mm. what I think about that, if that's too too much or whatever, but. I just think it's a, it's a really, really strong squad. People forget how strong the squad already is. Um, yeah, no, I understand totally what you're saying. Um, the one the one counterpoint I have to that is you talk about the squad. I think maybe 13, 14 players, yes. Um, but I do look at that Chelsea squad depth. I look at Manchester City squad depth. And I just feel like they just got a little bit more in that sense. You know, you could you could put two, you know, Champions League competing sides. You could build two Champions League competing sides out of the Manchester City squad, in my opinion. Chelsea, maybe not as, as good, but they've still got a lot of quality in there. And obviously bringing in Lukaku as well. Liverpool, I think if they have another campaign, like the one before the last, where, you know, a lot of the players stayed fit and available, then yeah, look, I, I agree. I think it's it is them going to be right up there. Um, you know, putting at least maybe an eighty-five point season in. But whether you know is that going to happen? Are they going to have that, that that fortune, or is it is it? I don't think you'll we'll, we'll see a repeat of last season. You know that that was so far down the other end of the scale. But even somewhere in between, would that maybe cause Liverpool one or two issues? I know they planned for it now with the likes of Canate, you got Jota in there. There's cover for two key areas, defence and attack. Um, Thiago's in there as well, as you pointed out, but then you've lost Wijnaldum. Um, so I don't know, Josh, I guess that to summarise my point, I do agree, you know, in terms of what Liverpool are for that 12, 14 players, you know, top, top, probably up there, the best, or if not one of the best in the Premier League, but I do feel like what the others have is a lot of depth, but quality still. Because all Liverpool's still going to be looking at the likes of Origi to come off the bench. Will that still happen this year? Yeah, I, I definitely take your point, but I do think that this, despite that, I think Liverpool's depth is still generally better than, than people sometimes give it credit for. I think I think obviously the likes of Origi is a bit of a problem. 
Liverpool. Say, for example, Liverpool's past two friendlies. We played a friendly on um, Sunday, and then we played a friendly 24 hours later. We basically fielded two sides there, and the second side was against Osasuna. And if you look at it, it's 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 still a pretty strong team. Obviously, there's a few weak links, but Liverpool's second team essentially was uh, Kelleher in goal, Nico Williams, Canate, Gomez, Simicas, Ox, Fabinho, Curtis Jones, Cade Gordon, Firmino, and Minamino. And that's excluding the players on the bench who include Jordan Henderson and Thiago, who were who still getting back to full fitness and stuff. So, and obviously in the other team that got, that got fielded, you had Harvey Ellis, who's, who's starting to play a little bit of a part. So, while I do agree that Liverpool's depth can't overly compete with Chelsea and City, I do think Liverpool have enough depth to to navigate the Premier League season, maybe. Um, mm. Unless something kind of dramatic happens. Like, if, if, if we were to suffer, for example, an injury to Trent, that would be a problem. Um, if we were to suffer an injury to Salah and Shikiri was to leave, you know, that that would maybe be an issue because we don't really have that left that left sided player too much, really. Uh, but I do think Liverpool have generally enough depth, probably to, I mean, probably you could argue better depth than when we won the title, really. Mm. Uh, but obviously, when we won the title, we had lots of stuff going right for us, very few injuries, and that's kind of maybe the variant side that you need to be favourable, really. That's And that's hard to guarantee, but given what Liverpool have suffered in the past year, hopefully it's going to be a bit more favourable for us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, we still don't know the impact of Provadney stays, which, you know, it's looking more and more possible that he will. You know, someone like Harvey Elliott, you know, how, how much of an impact could he have on the side? How important could he be? You know, Jones still developing. You know, is he going to... You'd imagine that the trajectory that Curtis Jones is on, that, you know, he could quickly go on and be become an even more important player. So there are these players that maybe... At this stage, we don't hold in such a high esteem, but as the campaign goes on, the, the young players who become really important to the side. Um, as I said, you know, I just, I just look at City and I, I just think there's two, there's two like starting elevens in there. Uh, Chelsea, a little bit the same. I think Liverpool have that a little bit less, but um, you know, you can definitely win a league with a core group of. 14 really good, 15, you know, really good players. And I think that's what Liverpool will be relying on. And if everything goes their way on that sense, then they've got more than enough to to push whoever it is to the very end or lead the pack and, and maybe go on and win it. Yeah, I've been I've been checking the odds every now and then, to be honest, mate. Uh, just looking at what Liverpool are getting priced at bookies-wise. Because as I said, transfers seem to really change the perception around the league and I think people are very quick to forget what Liverpool were before they suffered the centre-back crisis you know even last season up until Christmas we were top of the league fairly comfortable winning 7-0 against away from home and things like that so I think that's achievable once more you know people are talking about FSG and how they view how they view maybe next summer to be the summer of transition where we dig up a few weeds and things like that but I think this season I think the the squad is is very much still in the 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 win now category maybe, um, and I think that I do think that'll be the target. Liverpool are still 
priced fairly well. I I thought when it comes to the book, he's still priced level with with Chelsea. I thought it'd be a bit longer than that, and that's what I was I was gonna throw a ten on him or something like that. But um, yeah, they're still they're still still too short for me to do that. It's not really worth doing, but. Usually the bookies don't really get it too wrong, so the fact that Liverpool are priced so short, currently joint second favourites behind Manchester City, I think bodes well for the season. And yeah, I think it could be a flip of a coin between a few sides. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We'll go straight in for your top four, Dave. What are you, what are you predicting top four wise for the season? Yeah, we'll do, we'll do order here as well. Yeah, so obviously I did allude to it, didn't I, earlier um, in, in terms of the teams, in it? I think, oh, I don't know, I don't want to upset anyone here. I, I, it, what I will say, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat it first and, and just say, because I'm in a position where I have to put in order, I will, but I am in no way confident of this order. Uh, but I'm going to go with um, Manchester City to, to win it again. Uh, especially if they were to bring in Kane on top of Grealish. Um, second is really hard. Uh, I expect maybe I'm going to go with Liverpool for that. Uh, if things go as they did a couple of seasons ago, I think this group have really got a good run in them again. Third, I'm going to go Chelsea. Um, I expect them to be really strong as well, uh, but maybe just one or two more seasons for that group that they brought in now to kind of, well, I say that, you know, they don't tend to have managers in there for that long, but I just think Tuchel maybe just needs this group a little, another year to win it, or at least, you know, get in the top two. And then United fourth, but uh, it's weird. United do have some holes still in that starting 11, but they, they've also fixed a lot of them as well with Varane, Sancho, and to, I think they'd be so disappointed with a fourth place finish. Um, but I just I fancy the three teams ahead of them. So, as I said, with no confidence whatsoever, I'm going to back City just about. I'll go Liverpool second. Um, third, I'm going to go Chelsea and fourth, United. For me, you know, it is it is difficult this. And if you had a gun to my head, I would, I would put forward the same order, if I'm honest. But having said that, I think... I think any one of the four can win it. Hmm. But I think specifically the top three, I think can you can you can almost flip a coin with them. I think that they're all that comparable and they're all that strong. Um in terms of like point tallies, what 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 we think might win it, it's it's hard to say. Like last season, Manchester City in the league. I think it was eighty six points, was it? Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, 86 points they won the league with, but they only really started playing like December onwards, really. Mm. Um, they've added Grealish, but they still haven't added that striker. And if they don't add that striker and they go into this season, I don't think, think City will get that much more than that. I don't think they'll be pushing 100 points again. I think if, if they go into the season as is right now, I think they might end up around 90 Something like that. Um, and I think from a Liverpool and a Chelsea perspective, I think that's beatable. I think you can get you can get more than that. And I think I'd go as far as saying maybe any team that wins I mean this is this is a big ask anyway, but any team that wins thirty of their thirty eight games, I think would probably win the league. 
Like in 2019, Liverpool did that. Liverpool won 32 of theirs. In 2018, Liverpool and City both did that. City won 32, Liverpool won 30. Year before that, again, City won 32. And the year before that, Chelsea under Antonio Conte won 30. So I think any any side that wins 30 games this season, I think would probably win the league. I can't I can't see I don't think two teams would do it um this season. But it really is extremely difficult to predict that top four, but especially the top three for me. The thing that separates United from the top three isn't so much the squad. I think it's more the coach. Mm-hmm. Um and I I've said before I don't mind Solskjaer that much. I think he's I think he's alright. But He's competing there against arguably the three best in the world when it comes to Pep, Klopp and, and Tuchel. So I think when it comes to that, you know, I say you're only as good as your players, don't I? But to an extent, you know, when it gets to little small margins, that's when the coach starts to make a bit of a difference as well. And I think those coaches have just main, n- main named specifically offer a, offer a fair few points more than the typical coach. Hmm. So although I think United have improved... Sadly for them, I actually think they might regress position-wise in the table. And it'll be interesting to see if on the back of that they go and sack the manager or whatever. Because I don't think there's much he can do about it. I just think he's competing with three absolute elite English sides at the moment. Um, And he's still got maybe the odd little hole in midfield and things like that. But Mm. I do think they've had generally a good summer. But it is is going to be a difficult one to predict, isn't it, David? It's, It's hard to... It's hard to nail top four there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it'll be really, really fun to watch. You know, I think it's it, on paper it looks like it's going to be a really good season. Um, just in general, actually, with you know fans coming back in, and, um, and as I said, you know, I think you've got he's probably the three best managers in the world right now in this in in those top three kind of positions. Um, and yet, the top four is going to be really tight. You know, I, I think it's a. Uh, it's going to be tough for the, the the kind of sixteen teams out of that top four, especially those who have kind of been within the the top top six conversation for such a long time. You know, like your Tottenham's, and I mean, you look at Tottenham. I think Tottenham look a long way away uh, from from that top four. Uh, I don't. I'd be surprised if they finish anywhere near it. Um, Arsenal again. I think Arsenal are going to really struggle to to close that gap. Um, what, what here's one though, Josh. We have, who we haven't mentioned, um, Leicester. You know, I do. You feel, I, I don't know about you. I feel a little bit sorry for them because I think they've done a lot right, um, and they've kind of overperformed really for the last couple of years. I know they've built this reputation as being like kind of a bottlers, you know, for for maybe dropping off from title races and falling up the top four, but. Um, I just think it's going to be for what they for what they can do uh, resource wise and things like that. I think they they managed to you know Rogers and it and the staff around them managed to squeeze everything out of out of Leicester. But I think even that won't be enough this year with the, with the four sides and how the others have improved. Yeah, again, I like the way Leicester have run. I like the business that they've done. I think they've improved the team. They haven't really suffered from any major losses this summer, which has been the case in seasons gone by. You know, last year they lost Ben Chilwell. Season before, I think it might have been Harry Maguire. Season before, it might have been Maris. So, they, they do usually have to deal with that major loss. This summer, they haven't had that. And I've added, obviously, Tumare, Patsendaka, um, Ryan Burton, players like that. So, 
generally decent additions, but just largely because of the strength of the teams ahead of them, I can't see them having any. I think if they was to finish fifth again, I think that's a good season. Even though it's not the most ambitious, you know, if you look at their past two seasons, they've generally, I think in certain phases, I think they've generally done better results-wise than they've even deserved. But despite that, they finished last season with 66 points and they finished the season before with 62. Now, this season, I think the, the, the bracket for the top four will be even higher than the past two seasons gone by. So it just feels like if Leicester were going to do it, they were probably going to do it last season or maybe the season before. But to do it now would be a big ask. Uh, I do rate them, I think, that roughly same level as Spurs and Arsenal at the minute. Uh, obviously, it remains to be seen whether Spurs will be keeping their main man, which will certainly have an impact on points, tallies and stuff. But yeah, I don't, I don't see much of a threat from Leicester when it comes to the top four. I just see four squads in particular that are just quality-wise on a different level to the rest of the league. And I think for the most part, that kind of takes care of itself. But when it comes to relegation then, Dave, who are you putting forward? Again, it's tricky. Yeah, it is a tricky one. Um, I don't know. Uh, this one I, I really struggled with, to be honest, because I think you normally look at the promoted side and see who goes out of them. Um, Norwich will be interesting, but I don't want to talk about them too much because I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, you know, just, But just generally how they approach the season, whether they approach in the same way they did um, two years ago or they adapt slightly. Um Watford, you know, I must, I must admit, I haven't really paid that much attention to Watford over the summer, um, so I don't yeah. know. They haven't signed a player, I don't think. No, oh, well, I mean, that's a big ask to come into this division um, when you haven't really done any big business, and, and you know, it doesn't need to be six or seven players, but I think you do need to improve the side to compete at this level. They haven't done so, so that'll be a that that makes them pretty vulnerable, in my opinion, at this stage. Um, Brentford, I don't know. You know, interesting. I'll wait and see on that one. Um, I'll probably, and it might seem harsh, but I'd probably put them two uh, as two of my favourites just because where we're at this stage. Um, although what I like about Brentford is they've got, you know, they've got a goal scorer, they've got some good players, and they might do okay. But then that third one is really tough. I don't know, to be honest. Will it kind of be like a, you know, maybe a, Palace say if, if it just goes to pot with, with Vieira or, you know, will Burnley finally run out of steam under Dyche? Because I think that's threatened to happen once or twice now uh, over the last few years. And he manages to always pull it back, doesn't he, Josh? But I just don't know if maybe that might finally catch up this year. Um, yeah, maybe one of those two sides. For me, I think I, I would not rule out the three promoted sides going straight back down to be honest. If I had to pick one of those sides, most likely to stay up, I think I would maybe lean towards Brentford, um, simply because, you know, Thomas Frank's been there for a while now. He's, you know, they've got quite, quite like, uh, established. Everyone knows, a bit like Leeds, everyone knows what to do and everyone's established in the squad and stuff. So, if I, if I was to suggest one of them is going to stay up, it would probably be Brentford. But again, there isn't much in there. What I will say is, 
I am a bit more concerned than usual about certain Premier League ever presence, maybe if you like. So I think I'm a bit worried about Southampton. Uh, just because they, they look so fragile at times mm. last season. They've lost Danny Ings and they've lost Ryan Burton, two of their more seasoned, mature players, if you like. Mm. Replaced them with the lads from the Championship who um, obviously hasn't played in the Premier League level yet, yet I'm pretty sure I'm saying. And they've replaced Burton with a Chelsea youth product who's apparently very good though. And I think is it is it Perraud, something like that, French lad from, mm. from the French League one. Um, and there's so, absolutely no way I'm trying to help anyone out something that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah, just looking at Southampton, I'm, I'm just not sure. They just look a little bit fragile to me, a little bit weak. Mm. Um, and in addition to Southampton, I would throw Burnley in there too. Burnley are usually just so safe; they know what they are, sort of thing. But this summer, more than ever, they've. I don't think anyone's aware that there's been lots of upheaval at that club this summer, you know, in terms of like specifically staff behind the scenes, the people surrounding Sean Dyche, directors of football and all this. I think lots of changes because of um, new owners, basically. I think new owners took charge last season. So although Dyche is still there, I think there's the possibility that he won't be by the end of the season. I think if he's not there, there's no way that squad is Premier League level for me. Um Obviously, still a prospect that Everton will pick up their best player, Dave. Not sure about that one. Not sure where that mm. one went. Yeah, I think it's still rumbling on, but um, you know, it's it went quiet, hasn't it? Which makes you wonder if if, if it's going to actually happen. But I think that would be that would be a big loss for them as well. Um, you know, someone who swings in a lot of crosses to Chris Wood, which obviously gives them a lot of goals. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know how that one's going to pan out. Yeah, so you know, I would, I would. But question marks next to the three promoted sides, Southampton, Burnley. And I think you, although I think they might be okay, I think you've probably got to throw one in the direction of Crystal Palace simply because of, again, the upheavals that they're going through, the new the new coach, uh, one of their best players, Eze, he's going to miss most of the season, I assume. Um, lots of season performers who, who we're just used to doing it. I think maybe. You know, the likes of Gary Cahill and obviously Andros Townsend and players like that have left the club. So you just don't know, I suppose, in certain ones like that. And if you look at their performance numbers last season, although they, they got results every now and then on the way, Hodgson, their performance numbers weren't very good. So I, I think they might be okay then, but uh, they're, they're the teams with question marks above them for me. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But now, a bit of an outside-the-box question, Dave. Who would you label as your overachievers, the, the team that you think will surprise a few in what they achieve in the season? Maybe they, where they finish in the table and stuff? Yeah, it's, um, again, it's so tough, isn't it, to predict this stuff uh, before um, before the season starts? Um, I think... <clears throat> I expect maybe not to overachieve, but but I do expect Leeds to have another strong campaign. Um, I just think that they're really well run in what they do. Um, I think you know, look at already they look like an established side, and you forget that they only come up last season. You know, they had no issues whatsoever in terms of playing with relegation. Um, I think recruitment on their part is good. Um, they, they seem to be always linked with good profiles. 
um, to match the identity that they want to play. I think they could certainly consolidate um, a top 10 finish. Um, an interesting one, Josh, on this club. I could see these going either way, uh, but I'll back them on this side for now because I think everything on paper they've done is correct. Uh, Aston Villa, you know, I think a club that, you know, I, 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 in, given the situation they were in, I think they've done really well and they've kind of recruited in the right way. I don't even just mean this Grealish kind of period where they're trying to replace his output and carries. I'm talking about over the last 12, 18 months, I think they've recruited quite well. So that could have potential to, to really fire them up the table and they could be a really competitive side this season. So they may be ones to watch, uh, but I'm not fully sold on that yet. You know, I think they're losing a big player and it doesn't always happen with other players coming in. So um, I'll throw them in there, but I'm not fully convinced, Josh. Yeah, good shouts. I think uh, for me, my over my overachievers they're not really that um outside the box maybe because they, they kinda of did it last season, but I'm gonna go for West Ham. Um I think they're gonna have another season like that, basically. Like they, like they just I don't think it was that much of a fluke. And they haven't really lost anybody this summer. You know, Declan Rice is still there, Jared Bowen's still there, Michael Antonio's fit. They've got rid of in fact, no, I don't think they've got rid of any keepers, but they've got in Ariola, who last season, when we look at overperformance, pretty sure he was the best performing goalkeeper when it comes to um, saving above expectation. I think he saved, I think he just about outperformed Emmy Martinez by saving about, uh, you know, around, around 10 shots more than he should have. So if you put him in goal for that West Ham outfit and you think of the players they've already got, the set pieces that they clearly work on. The fact that they've added Ariola and adding a lad called um hang on. <laughs> I'm gonna get up his name now. Plays for Fiorentina. Um I think it's Malenkovic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Malenkovic. Plays for Fiorentina and when he got linked with him, I straight away knew who he was because he was someone I looked at when do you remember when we did the centre back show for Liverpool when Gomez yeah. got injured? I put forward Sven Botman. But Malenkovic was someone that I looked at because he's still only 23, but he's massive. You know, he's just over six foot four and he's boss in the air, basically very, very good in the air. So he's, in terms of what West Ham do, you know, lots of threat from set pieces and things, he's going to be well suited to them, I think. And if you look at the other lads they've been linked with, Kate Zuma, Ariel Monster, and Douche Coletta Carr, who I put forward on this show a few months back, I think. Again, aerial monster. So David Moyes clearly knows what he wants. I actually think David Moyes is very good when it comes to recruitment a lot of the time. Mm. Um but I think West Ham just looking at what they've got, what they still might add, the fact they haven't lost anybody. And they're just they're gonna spend another year doing what they've been doing for the past year. I think they could do, have another really good season and finish, you know, above the likes of Arsenal again comfortably. So they're going to be my overachievers. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I go on. Sorry, mate. I was going to say, the only thing with West Ham, um, albeit Moyes has done it before, to be fair with Everton, is uh, they're in the Europa League now, aren't they? And I just wonder whether... If that's going to, yeah, is that going to tax that squad? Because it's not the biggest. Um, but there are power, so, so many parallels between this West Ham side and the kind of Everton side of the late noughties. And... Uh, 
they were kind of competing in in you know it was the UEFA Cup then wasn't it but UEFA Cup regularly and still finishing kind of like in and around fifth and sixth so he's got experience doing it providing he has a core squad that he's clearly happy with and he is so you know maybe he's going to be a little bit better at managing that than than people might initially assume yeah that's a good point to be honest I didn't consider that so that 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 could hamper them a little bit certainly um but you know it remains to be seen we'll see, see how they go anyway underperformers then Dave <laughs> the team that you maybe expect to I'm not sure how should we define underperformers I mean what do we even really mean by that a team that maybe does worse than they should or or what mm, well that yeah it's a tough one because is it kind of a team that's yeah high expectations and not going to deliver it or is it just a team that performs pretty poorly or maybe it's somewhere in between yeah um, somewhere in between I'll let you go with that one first yeah so what I would say is uh, if Villa don't have a good season I think they'd be considered underperformers because uh, they've obviously brought in a lot of new faces um, but underperformers um, I expect I don't I, well, I don't know if expectations are high, but we've spoke separately about it. I expect Everton not to have a great season, you know, considering that the, the, they've been kind of not trying to knock on the door of the top six for, say, the past few years. Um, struggled to really do it. Um, you know, we're threatening to be a top four side up until about March of last season. Um, and then, obviously, you know, fell off spectacularly. I don't think you're going to see repeat of that this year. I'm expecting them to be somewhere in the ground where they finished, you know, 10th, 11th. Um, so I think they're going to have a pretty flat campaign. Um, Tottenham, Josh, I put Tottenham in there. I know they've still got a lot of good players, um, but I'm just not sure if that's going to, you know, it, considering they're going to be, they'll go into this season still believing they should be a team pushing for Champions League. I don't, I just cannot see that happening. You know, and I don't need to repeat all the points we've already made, uh, you know, about 10, 15 minutes ago. I just, I can't see it happening. And I think they'll be pushed for top six. You know, people forget they didn't even get top six last season, did they? You know, they all done by the likes of West Ham. And I expect them to underachieve again. Um, and then finally, maybe Arsenal. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I would pretty much agree with everything you've just said. I'm looking, I'm looking at the league now and I'm not really sure if there's many teams that are expecting the world and they're not going to get it. Um, just looking at them, I think most teams will probably run in line with their expectations or maybe even above. I'm not really sure. It's hard to define. Obviously, when I said the Southampton stuff earlier, I think they could be they could have a bit of an issue this season, maybe, uh, again, for the reason that they're a bit vulnerable and stuff. But... Josh, sorry, just quickly, yeah. can I add one more into this conversation? Because I think they're relevant. I think Wolves will be a really interesting one, actually. Well, um, I was thinking, I was thinking about them. I was going to say them, but I, I don't really know how they're going to fare because I know what this manager's after. He's basically going to do what Nuno does in a way when it comes to shape, but more aggressive, more proactive, higher line. Um. All that sort of stuff, really. Whether Wolves can do that is another question. Whether they'll encounter problems or whatever. Like, say, for example, if you're keeping Conor Cody in the team, Conor Cody never struck me as that that type mm-hmm. who can defend really highly and, and things like that. So, yeah, well, well, the reason I didn't say Wolves is because they, they could really go two ways for me. They could they could take to it brilliantly and, and really enjoy the 
change up in style because some you know think for example when Man United went from Mourinho to Solskjaer, all the players just suffered kind of a morale boost because they were now playing like a an attacking side. Mm-hmm. So Wolves might benefit from that, but then at the same time they might not really have the I don't know the players to to start playing that way, and he might suffer. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I'm just thinking. Yeah, could it be like a Frank the Baller Palace type thing where maybe those um, that kind of transition is just too quick? You know, changes too fast. Don't have the players in place, and it and it fails miserably. And you know, even last season under uh, Nuno, they were kind of. It felt like they were on a downward trajectory as a as a side. Um, they've lost. Jota last year, which was a you know a big loss for them. I think key players are that bit older. Jimenez is back, which could be important, but um, obviously we don't know how good he comes back. I don't know. They, they could just be ones to watch um, in terms of you know maybe getting dragged into that kind of bottom six uh, battle. So this is always uh, one of my favourite ones. Um, best transfer. Hmm. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I didn't... Uh... I think for this one, if you want, we can do an obvious one and we can do maybe a more under-the-radar pick who's, who we think is good but might not get the um, plaudits. Yeah. Um, good question. I'll tell you what, I'll have a quick... So I think... if I have a, I'm trying to have a look at what we've got in front of us now. and see. So, you know, we touched on them already. I think Leicester have done some decent business. Um I'm not saying he's the, the, these the two best, but I think obviously Samari and Dakar are really good buys. Um, you know, Leicester being after kind of a, a hit, maybe an air to Vardy, and whilst he's not the exact same player, he has proven to be a bit of a goal machine. And if he can translate that into the Premier League, then he's going to be a you know great purchase. Uh, I think Samari midfield is someone that you know certainly in kind of the, the Twitter. And I was seeing he's talking about a lot as Nee Josh and one of them where you're wondering where he'd end up going. Uh, I think obviously they're two decent buys. Uh, I, I feel like I'm hogging them all, so I won't go on. Uh, beyond, I'm not going to do Grealish because, you know, I think that's, unless you, you're going to go on to it, I think it's obviously a really good buy. Uh, but one more I'll add is um, Palace bringing in um, Olsi, you know, uh, the, one, the, the lad from Reading. Oh yeah, Elise. Yeah, Elise. Sorry, Elise. Uh, yeah, you know he, he he's been doing really well uh, in the championship. Uh, a player who I probably would like to see in a few other clubs at that level. Don't not naming them. <laughs> Moving for didn't uh, Palace brought him in. The kind of player he really needs someone that can kind of not only step up while as he's out, but you know potentially play alongside him and form a kind of really good uh, little core group of players in the team. So I think he was a decent buy for, for Palace and just what they needed. Yeah, I think for me, beyond, I think for me, the obvious one, the, be- the best transfer for me is Sancho. I-, I think that's the best transfer of the summer uh, because of how good he is. The fact he's English, homegrown, still only 21, I think. And, I think the price they got him for is decent, actually, too. You know, considering what, what's getting paid, what's getting quoted for Harry Kane and what's getting paid for Jack Grealish, Romelu Lukaku and things. I think to get Sancho for around 75 million, I think he's, I think that's a great buyer. I just think he's a great player. And sadly, there's no, there's no way alternative takes regarding that one as to whether it might go wrong or, or anything like that. It's just one of them top transfers. Um, 
And yeah, I think beyond that, it's going to be, as you say, it's going to be interesting to see how Patson Daha gets on. Obviously, quoted rumours to Liverpool quite a lot. Palace, again, done some interesting business. Mark Guayhi, centre-back from Chelsea, about 20-odd million. But I think that's a good buy. Anderson as well, centre-back, who played a Fulham last season, I think is a good buy. Um, and obviously, if Chelsea get Lukaku in, mm. although it's a lot of money, uh, I do think there's the potential that he, that transfer on its own could win them the league. Um, just because of the, the goals he'll probably get. And as a result of scoring so many goals, he's just going to have a natural boost on Chelsea's points. So I think, I think Lukaku alone could, could be worth around a neighbourhood of 10 points, maybe. And, you know, that could easily win the league. Uh, but yeah, mm. it's a difficult one, really, isn't it? We, you know, there's plenty of time still to go. Obviously, City could end up getting Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah, and what I will say is, Josh, it does feel like this year there's been a lot of big uh, moves and beyond, not even like the really obvious big names, but to just feel like and I know people people talked a lot about uh, business not being the same. You know, this post COVID, I think it is in terms of maybe clubs getting rid of Deadwoods or you know players who are deemed surplus, but. I think there has been some definitely some big activity. If you think of like a, a Grealish making a move in one window, uh, potentially Kane moving in the same window, Lukaku, obviously <laughs> Messi, standard, uh, stands out. We haven't, we haven't even spoken about that one on this podcast. That yeah. is insane, that isn't it? Absolutely isn't it? insane, yeah. mate. That's it. But even like the likes of, I knew, we knew it was coming, but the pie going uh, to Barcelona, and then you got like Ramos going to PSG, Wijnaldum going, basically everybody going to PSG. It's a, uh, you know, it has been quite a, a big summer for transfers. It has, it's been crazy. I think it's been, it's been a weird summer in terms of everybody just seems to be potless, really, apart from the odd club that's essentially almost run by a country, I suppose. <laughs> and because they've got the funds available, they're able to just hoover up the talent that other really big clubs can't really afford to keep. You know, Lukaku leaving Inter, Hakimi leaving Inter, um, Varane leaving Real Madrid, Ramos leaving Real Madrid, Messi leaving Barca. All, all the top players this summer more than ever, I think, you know, potentially Grealish as well, going to City, Kane potentially going to City. This summer more than ever, I, all the talent seems to be getting isolated in specific places rather than spread out. And I don't think that's good for the game, to be honest. Mm. Uh, hopefully it won't continue and hope. Hopefully, I said this last week, I think, when I was on with Matt, but hopefully City don't get Harry Kane because I think that will... It's just grim, isn't it? You just don't really want to see that, do you? <laughs> Uh, it, will it, uh, it will make it the task for everybody else a little bit more difficult to say the least. It will it will make them, in my opinion, clear favourites if they get in Harry Kane. Whereas mm-hmm. right now, I do think you can flip a coin. But with Kane in, it's just there's an element of breaking the game a little bit there, isn't he? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We better speak anyway about Norwich City because it's Liverpool's first game of the season. I suppose what you label as a fairly easy start. You was going to talk about them earlier on, Dave, but you saved it. Just general thoughts on Norwich, what to expect from them this season and whether Liverpool are maybe in for a tough game or not. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I said that, it wasn't I've got any uh, phenomenal insight. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think they're just interesting because 
I think what the last, obviously last uh, last time they in the Premier League, um, they took a lot of stick for the way they did things. Um, the defense was a massive issue. I think they were conceding, you know, two goals a game where they, by all accounts and from what I could see when I was keeping an eye on the Championship, it, they, they seemed to fix that defense. Um, it was a lot better. Obviously, the asset test is being back in the Premier League. Um, it doesn't get that much tougher than Liverpool first game of the season. That will probably test them. Um, and the preparations haven't been that great uh, in going into pre-season. I've noticed it's been a few COVID issues and they've had a few games cancelled. And the, the final game before, uh, obviously, play Liverpool this weekend, they, they got beat 3-0 by Newcastle, which, okay, I know it's only pre-season, but normally that final game before the season starts is where you want to have the final look at your team before the competitive fixes begin. And that's not a good look to be getting beat like that by Newcastle. So um, I think it'd be interesting. They, they, they've bought fairly well, haven't they? Um, you know, they've bought, like, I think they've just announced Josh Sargent. Um, they've got, didn't, they brought uh, Rashidza, didn't they, as well? Yeah, Milot well. Rasha here from Bader yeah. um, Bremen. Yeah, so, you know, that was a good buy. And they've done some nice stuff and they're a well-run club. Um but to answer you your question, go on, Josh. Just on this completely unrelated note, but we obviously every now and then we we tip players, don't we, for to be interesting, worth looking at scouting wise or for Liverpool or whatever. And I didn't even realise until last week a player who I've mentioned quite a lot in the past year for Liverpool move, just someone worth looking at was Andre Silva. Um, Frankfurt scored twenty odd goals last season, still a good age, twenty five. I didn't even realise that he's moved to RB Leipzig this summer. For about twenty million, um, and it's interesting given the similarities between Liverpool and Leipzig, and you know the bridge. Maybe that I think he's probably a bit too old for that to happen now. But I just wanted to flag that every now and then we we keep track of these players, don't we? Long term listeners, the show will be aware of me mentioning Silver. So yeah, a little update that he's he's now at Leipzig and will be competing in the Champions League next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you're uh, watching him. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to knowledge, you mentioned the issues that they're currently encountering. Just just a line on their injuries or absences or whatever. So going into this weekend, their injury, injured players, Sam Biden, Todd Cantwell, Milot Rashica, Lucas Rupp, Grant Hanley, Oriel Hernandez, Jordan Hugel, Bally Mumbe, and... I'm not even going to pronounce the first name of this lad, but his surname is Placetta. Um So, yeah, lots of absences, lots of problems, and not already what you would label as a youthful side. So, I think it's been a very, I think it's going to be a very favourable start for Liverpool. And I think if Liverpool can't get off so winning start here, we should maybe have some concerns. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably a decent, I think it's a decent game to, to start Van Dyke personally. I know, we've, I know there's been, taking plenty of time there and there's a few doubts as to whether he'll actually start the first Premier League game of the season but I think if you're going to ease him in I think do it here I think I would start Van Dijk personally Yeah I would as well I think uh, probably the only thing that goes against Liverpool is they've, they've got to go to Carroll Road as opposed to being in Anfield I think everything else that's the factors uh, are in their favour you know, it's a game that they're probably going to dominate uh, dominate the ball, dominate territory, create plenty of chances. Um, opposition even, chances should be few and far between. Even like the height of Norwich, though, like the fact that they're quite uh, 
quite a small, slight team. Yeah. The fact that you would have Van Dijk in the side there from from set pieces and things, you know, scoring goals and stuff like that. I just think it's it's a suitable one there for Van Dijk to be honest. Well, they play, don't they? You know, predominantly they play a like a four-two-three-one, um, and the main strike will probably be Timo Pukki. I imagine unless unless they'll start with someone else, but you know. Pukki's already had a crack at the Premier League and, and, you know, from a physical standpoint, he's not he's, he's not like a Chris Wood, is he? He's not someone who's just going to physically test you throughout the game. I also don't think he'll test you in terms of um, runs in behind and, you know, skill on the ball. I, I just think he... Not that, you know, look, he's a very, very good player. You know, he scored a ton of goals in this country, so I'm not dismissing him, but I just agree with your point. I think it's it's not a bad opponent to come up against in, uh, in your first game. I think an issue for Pukki as well will be, you know, the, the runs in behind he did test opposing sides with were largely fed by Emi Buendia, who is obviously now at Aston Villa. So you could argue, I think we flagged him, didn't we, two years ago, Dave? But was it you we, you and me? We flagged him as a, yeah. when Norwich first came up, you know, Buendia was the threat, Buendia was the creative, creative man to watch. And in that game at Anfield, first game of the season, Liverpool won 4 1. So the, the pretty. Not identical, but they're very, very similar to the team that Liverpool did face in the Premier League a few years back. Um, as you say, they've made some interest, interesting signs with Rashford and Sargent. I don't think either will play. Probably too early for Sargent, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of this will, a lot of the interest on this one will, will probably be the team that Klopp will pick, Dave. Obviously, a few players have, have had good pre-seasons. A few players are on the edge of full fitness and, and things like that. So... You know, I'm curious to get get your thoughts as to who you'd who you'd field. It's a good question. Um, I look at it and I think. I mean, we'll, I prob- we'll, go on. I'm gonna say we'll go position by position. So yeah, but we'll remove the obvious ones. So start left back. Then are, are, are you playing Simakas or or Milner? Uh, Simakas, without doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think. With the be- I say the beauty, it's never nice losing an injury, you know, having, having a player go injured. But what I like about him is he's a fairly decent replica of Robertson, maybe not as efficient, but, you know, a big problem last season was obviously Liverpool having to bring in defenders and then adapt the game to, to you know, away from what it would normally be in those positions because the players aren't the same profiles. But, he is, and I think he that that means that Liverpool can just play as he wants with him there, and there'll still be that threat from that left back position. So, yeah, he definitely goes in there instead of say like a Milner for me. So, centre half, who are you two? You pairing? I probably am going to go uh, for the reasons that we just stated. I'll go Van Dijk in there. Um, are you agreeing with that? Yeah, I'm playing Van Dijk, but. It- in terms of his partner, it is quite tricky. I'm probably leaning towards Matup. Um but maybe when you consider Norwich's strength, you could probably argue they're a little bit more of a mobile type team, couldn't you? Rather than their big physical side. So if they are a mobile team, you could argue maybe Canate is a little bit better suited. I don't, I don't think I'd start Gomez. I think Gomez feels a little bit further behind, um, fitness wise. And stuff. I think his injury was a bit more serious, wasn't it? Mm. And a bit later than Van Dijk as well. So I don't think I'd play Gomez, but out of Canate and Van and and Matip, Canate's had a good pre-season and stuff. But I don't think he's played next to Van Dijk yet. 
and no. yeah, I just don't overly see that much of a need to throw him in first game of the season away from home and stuff. So I, I'll probably put Matt up in there. I think. Yeah, I would. I think. Uh, I think there's already you're already putting Van Dijk in, you know, and you probably just want to settle centre back next to him. Plays played it played with numerous times. Uh, you know, so we can kind of focus a little bit more, I guess, on his job rather than uh, maybe, you know, a new partnership with a Canate. I just think it makes sense. Yeah, and then in terms of a midfield three, it doesn't it's not guaranteed to be a midfield three. No. You know, it could be a two. Um Jotter and Firmino both had good pre seasons, Mane and Salah both play. So you could do a four, two, three, one to be honest. I'm not sure what Klopp will do. With that one, especially considering that you know it is Norwich, I think he might go four three three though. So mm. I think I would go mid. My midfield three would be Fabinho, uh, Kater, mm. and purely f- for timeline reasons, Kater's further along the way than than the likes of Henderson, Thiago, and stuff. So that's why I'm picking Kater. But my third, third one's tough. Because Javier has had a great preseason. I think he could play over 1,500 minutes for Liverpool this season, to be honest. Mm. Um, Ox has had a really good preseason, a full preseason as well, without a single setback. And Milner has had a full preseason. So that third spot for me is quite sticky to pick. Mm, yeah, I uh, I can't. I'd be surprised if. Uh, if he starts Elliot, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the squad. Um you know, it'd be interesting to see what happened there. Considering it's not a ch- bit of a weaker side, I think I'd maybe lean towards Ox, you know, he looked really, really sharp mm-hmm. in the last game. And as I said, he's had a full preseason, which had, for him to have a full preseason when I was a single knock is quite rare. So I'd maybe lean towards Ox, I'm not sure on that one. Hmm. I was, I was, I think it's a good point what you make. I was probably going the other way, to be honest, maybe Milner and then just kind of having, you know, him and Fabinho kind of, you know, dropping in as that two, you know, almost like a, you know, double pivot at times and then just letting the, everyone else just go, uh, you know, with wing backs and stuff because both wing backs are quite attacking, aren't they? Um, so I was leaning more, more towards that, but. You've used the term toy co- uh, co- toss, <laughs> uh, coin toss a few times now, and I think it could be a coin toss between Milner and Ox. Well, at least with Milner, I think you'd have a bit more of knowing what you're going to get. And, um, you know, without Henderson in the midfield, no wine album there either. I suppose you'd have the benefits of a talker in there mm-hmm. uh, to kind of bring Liverpool through until Henderson gets fit and Thiago gets back on the pitch. Plus, Ox is just so inconsistent. You know, he, he just <laughs> no, yeah, has these yeah. more. And then you start him and he just doesn't play well at all. Um, and you don't want to be carrying anyone in this game because you want to start off with a big win. So, I don't know. Um, and I suppose the final slot is is Jota or Firmino. It's tough, that. <laughs> because, uh, I don't know. I what do you reckon? Gonna, I think I'm leaning towards Jota, personally. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, he's just a little bit further along the way when it comes to pre-season. I think, even though Bobby looked sharp in the last game and scored two. Two goals as well, yeah. Yeah, hopefully he hasn't yeah. used them all up. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what are you going to go with? I'll probably be... Uh, I'll, I'll go the other way, just to balance it out. I think <laughs> I'd probably go Firmino because I'd like the idea 
I, I could easily foresee Firmino doing really well from the start. And I'd also love the idea of having Jota come on off the bench to impact the game. Whereas I'm not sure Firmino would have that save, same kind of impact. Um, I don't envision, you know, Liverpool be chasing goals in the second half. But um, I think Jota's time will, will come. I think he will make that position his own. And maybe Firmino just gets it um, to start with for now. Uh, but I do expect that to change in the in the coming weeks and months. So first time in a while. Predictions for the match, Dave? Yeah, I'm quite confident with this one actually. No, let's that let's start Hopefully with a bang. We'll, we'll have a better season. Yeah. Gonna yeah, be, be much worse than last year. It was great, it was great the year before because it was just back in Liverpool to win and it was just about getting <laughs> the scoreline right. But uh, it was a uh, tougher this year. I'm going to go with uh, Liverpool 3-0. A fairly comfortable victory. Same. I'm going to go with Liverpool 3-0 as well. Hopefully we get a clean sheet. Hopefully no issues get through completely smoothly. But yeah, I think Liverpool will will be quite comfortably able. I do think there's a prospect of them maybe nicking a goal with Liverpool getting back to full fitness and defence. Van Dijk getting back up to speed. Mm. Simicast getting used to the Premier League. So there's, there's the prospect of conceding once or, or, or whatever but I think Liverpool will have enough firepower at the opposite end to pull it away so yeah I'm going to go 3-0 for this one hopefully Liverpool get a win and um, we will be back next week to review the game and look ahead to whoever Liverpool got second it's completely slipped my mind any idea Dave? Burnley uh, I think it's Burnley I've got an out in front of me so it is yeah, uh, yeah Burnley at home like, yeah yeah, Burnley at home. Mm. Yeah, so next week we will be reviewing Norwich. We'll be previewing Burnley at home and we'll be talking about whatever in between is going on. So, Dave, thanks for rejoining us, mate. We missed you. Thank you very much, mate. It's good to be back. Yeah, and be sure to tune in next week. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.